You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is up? Welcome back to the Van Flip Podcast. I'm sitting here this week with Andrew Marsh of Thy Art is Murder. Welcome to the show, Andrew. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing all right. It's great to be here. A little under the weather. Sorry? You're a little under the weather. You know, you got a little, I'm a little under the weather. Yeah, I got home at like. 2.30 this morning, it was the other guitar player in my band, Sean's uh, birthday party last night, and we full sent it. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. What did you end up getting into? Uh, we went to a bowls club down the road from my house uh, and got kicked out, and then we went to some other bar and then got kicked out, and then I walked home. Nice. Not kicked out for being naughty, just kicked out because they were like, we're closing. you got to go home. you got to go somewhere else. Just want we to keep like, going. Nah, we just want to keep drinking. Um, so yeah, that's what happened. Are you currently <laughs> stateside? Or are you are you home in Australia? I'm in Australia at the moment. Interesting. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be in the next weekend. Yeah, because I was gonna. Say, this is gonna air a couple months, uh, like maybe six weeks later. So just to give yep. you an idea, but um, yeah, you're just you're literally just about to kick off the hate ten year anniversary tour. So I was curious as to you know where you guys were at. Because I know, do you still? been half and half time yeah uh, as much yeah. as much as possible uh between i'm between brisbane in australia and denver colorado most of the year or uh new jersey with will so it's a lot of flying yeah <laughs> a lot of frequent mile uh, frequent flyer miles racking up oh so many it's it's my my uh secret like hoarding it's miles i just collect them do you get the uh cool access in the in the lobbies of like the certain airport you know I have the best. It's called platinum. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely handy when you travel this much. Get a shower, get a bed, get a meal, get a drink, uh, extra bags, which is good for touring. Yeah, we got like gear. Um, but yeah, you know, ten years worth of doing it gets you some benefits, I guess. Yeah, how amped are you guys for the you know the upcoming 10 year anniversary tour because you're doing that here in america in europe right you're doing i'm sure you're doing it in australia as well yeah we just finished in australia like about a week and a bit ago i think oh, that's right yeah yeah um yeah 10 10 days ago from today and then we're going i'm off to the states um next weekend to spend a couple of days with my daughter before the tour kicks off and most of the band was at sean's party last night or everyone that lives in brisbane and we're just talking about how it's going to go, how we're going to get in, travel plans, rehearsal plans. And everyone's pretty pumped for it. Like, it's a nice tour. Only goes for about four weeks. So, you know, doing some venues that we haven't been through in either ever or in quite some time. So it's nice to kind of... I know people always complain, oh, you, why aren't you coming to my city? It's like, 
we got to go to other cities, man. Like, what, you just want us to play your city every tour? So it is nice. This is uh, one of the ones where we're going to a few off the track joints and whatnot. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty, it's pretty tight um, lineup. Too. We got Kublai Khan, or Kublai Khan and uh, Undeath. We had um, we had uh, Alex on the podcast actually the episode before this one. So uh, yeah, and Justice for the Dam and I am. It's a good little lineup. I think so. Like the first kind of in my little, I don't know, hey project art project of assembling a tour lineup was 2013 we had Kublai Khan open the original decade uh not decade original hate across America tour and I discovered this band through a friend of mine on the internet uh called Ryan from Tulsa Oklahoma who mm. recorded the demos like in his house you know in the like 2010 or something so I'd become like a fan of this band because he kept sending me demos that he'd made and I told them to come and meet me on Summer Slaughter 2013 in Dallas, which I think was the closest show to them. And we all got along and I was like, do you want to do this tour with us at the end of this year? And they're like, oh, we've never done like a big tour. Like, that'd be great. And I'm like, well, we're hardly done big tours, so let's do it. Um, And to see how massive they've become in, in what they do in the last 10 years and, and I guess they're getting bigger at what we do i thought it'd be awesome to take the opening band and make them the direct support even though people would argue maybe stylistically it doesn't make sense to us it makes sense because they're our friends right uh, and then we wanted to construct a lineup around that i think undeath bridges that gap of slammy aggression that kubla can't have but they're a death metal band which we like to think that we are and then we just did it around that i am's also a very like traditional thrash and death metal leaning hardcore band i'd argue so you know it it kind of it's there you know it makes sense in my brain hopefully the fans uh agree that it makes sense i mean it's heavy it is super heavy that's that's for yeah. sure <laughs> yeah every, every not, that, that's not a bad thing by any means you know what i'm saying i'm saying that as a good thing but you know yeah. it is super heavy well hopefully people like it <clears throat> So hate is kind of when, like, right after you kind of joined the band, because you've been in the band over, you know, a little over a decade now. So, um, w did you like write part of this album, or were you, was it already kind of in the making when you joined up? Because you know, you, I think you were like a year before, or, or a little, little more than that. Two, two years before. <clears throat> this is my fourteenth calendar year in the band. I joined the band just after the adversary came out. And we were all young and I suppose I was the oldest and the wisest at the time. They're like, what do we do? I'm like, we make another record. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was involved in the writing. Definitely. Um, Sean and I, we had a different guitar player at the time, Tom, him as well. And then we got to the studio with Putney, which was a whole other story. You know, we're trying to decide who to make the record with. The band had just done it locally for the adversary and infinite death. It's like, I think maybe we should go overseas and do it. And they're like, why? That's expensive. I go, all the bands that are getting bigger from Australia go overseas and see record producers. This must be the secret. <laughs> we didn't even know what record producers did. We're like, what? You just go there and then they record you? It's like, nah, they tell you about your songs and they give you feedback and help you become a better songwriter. Uh, which we know now, it just seems kind of stupid to be like, we don't know what they do. But at the time, we're like, oh, 
we're just going to pay some other guy and fly there and he presses record. <laughs> boring. But turns out not boring. So Will had been the engineer for a record producer named Machine. And Machine was producing my friend's band from Australia called The Amity Affliction, who are pretty massive now around the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was friends with the band. And they came back and they go, you've got to meet this Putney guy. He's awesome. And he's into metal. And we reckon that you guys would get along. And maybe he can do your record. And we're like, good idea. So we hit him up. And he's like, yeah, I'll do your record. And, uh, you know, and so has a fruitful and artistic friendship been forged for over 10 years now. Um, but that's, I guess, kind of the, the real quick rundown. We got to the studio. We had some songs. He made us write more. He said, where's your lyrics? And we said, we don't have any. And he goes, what do you mean? We're like, we didn't think about it. <laughs> no one in the band's really into writing lyrics. So then I had to write the lyrics. And that was like a pretty trial by fire uh, experience in a, sh- a few short weeks. And then we done it. And that's just how we've done it ever since now, I guess. That's insane. Um, were there any other producers in, in the running or was it just kind of because you got linked up with Will, you just went directly with that because it was like an in. And what, how long into his producing career was he at at that point? Um, <clears throat> we didn't really. We, I mean, we just thought of things. We didn't quite understand that it would be such an important relationship, you know. Um, so we didn't have this experience we have now. So there was no deep forethought. We liked the sound of the records that he'd made. But at the time, we were just thinking, you know, this band does really good. And they went to this guy, like Adam D, you know, at the time was was still the king. Yeah. Um, oh, and this band went to this guy. And we're like, well, I don't know. What can we afford? And what makes sense? But I think what really sold it to us was like, Will was in fit for an autopsy. I mean, I guess he still is. He just doesn't go on tour. And he'd done Molotov Solutions record, this band called The Human Abstract, which I was pretty mm-hmm. into back then. So he was pretty new into it. I want to say like under two years into doing his own records separately to doing Machine's records with Machine because they'd done Suicide Silence and Lamb of God and a a couple of these big gigs that that were Machine's kind of projects. And we just go, well, they sound good. He's not famous yet. I mean, we didn't know that that was going to happen either, but we're just going to go and do it with this guy. And so... Away we went. We did a European tour. We booked some round-the-world tickets. Finished that. Flew to New Jersey. He said, I'm really busy. You can't come for a couple of days. And we're like, we got nothing better to do. So we went and stayed with some kids down on the Jersey Shore, like in Long Branch or Red Bank or something like that, for a couple of days. And then uh, we just rocked up at the studio. Yeah. Uh, hey, what's up? It's Lurk. Looks thing. like you're enjoying the podcast. If you are and you like what we're doing here on the Van Flip, why don't you go ahead and pause this and give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to find out any information on your favorite bands from the hardcore and metal scene, visit lambgoat.com. And to stay in the loop about everything that we post on lambgoat.com, make sure you like us on Facebook and you head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at lambgoat. Are you a full-grown adult and you also have a TikTok account? Congrats. Follow us on TikTok as well. You can find us under the username lambgoat.com. That's spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. 
head over to our YouTube channel where we have all of these podcasts in video format plus a lot more content that you should check out. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you hit that notification bell so you're always alerted when we upload new content. And last but not least, if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. And as always, if you need any of the links that pertain to the artists on the show today, Lamgoat or myself, you can always find them in the description. Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show. I'm picturing you all on the like the shore, like the Jersey Shore cast, just like walking up and down the boardwalk. <laughs> no, it was we were staying in like a real rough neighborhood. It definitely wasn't good. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we just. I was gonna ask who's the snooky of the group, you know? Sean Delander, the other <laughs> guitar player, definitely is the snooky. I, I don't actually know anything about Jersey Shore, and I'm pretty sure Snooky is a girl. Yeah, she's um, the short little uh, loud one that, you know, is like one of the main characters, I guess. Oh, he's definitely like a main character in the band and in my life. He's a crazy person. But um, yeah, for whatever reason, I think that he must be the Snooky, except he's <laughs> six foot four. Yeah, it's vastly different. Vastly different. All right. So is it easier for you to travel back and forth these days from Australia to Denver? I mean, we can afford it more. So that, no, I that mean, like, it... yeah, I guess that, that makes it more. Oh, simple. you mean the COVID restrictions? Yeah, because you, you seem to travel back and forth just from living in both places. So, you know. Yeah, um, it was definitely difficult in COVID. So I've got a U.S. passport and an Australian passport. I grew up in the States and I moved here when I was... 12 or something mm. so free travel for me is is nice in that respect but in COVID Australia had locked its borders and I was in Australia when that occurred and I was like well this sucks how am I going to go and see my daughter um, so I applied to the Australian government and said look I'm a US citizen you've got to let me out and they said that's fine we will let you out just letting you know that you won't be able to come back <laughs> and I was like oh Okay, well, because I've got a place here and my partner and a whole bunch of other things that I do when I'm not on tour down here. So that's interesting. Um, so I was, yeah, almost two years, about 18 months, I think, between when I was able to leave Australia and go and see my kid, which was difficult. But now it's pretty easy. You used to have to do all this testing and, and whatnot, and uh, it was a whole process. But now it's just get on the plane, go over there, no restrictions, which is nice to see. Do you live the double life? Because uh, obviously, is your your partner is um, are they from that area? Did you meet my here? my ex partner, um, mother of my child, is from Minnesota, and we used to live in Minnesota, going back ten years, lived there for about five years, and then when we separated she wanted to be close to her family so we moved to colorado it's all pretty amicable arrangement so down to colorado where her her family is and then my spouse now is australian so i've got one here that i'm with and then my daughter in colorado so splitting my time up is kind of annoying maybe we'll just move to america i'm not sure <laughs> or maybe you know i'll move my daughter to australia to get away from all the crazy gun violence yeah, it it gets a little wild up here. There's a lot of people that live up here, though, too. You know, so um, it's it's kind of good for you though that you know you have a base in the middle of the country because like if you tour as often as you guys do, you know, you're kind of 
right in the middle, so you can get everywhere pretty pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, sort of. Denver's not really a hub for the airlines that I travel on, um, which is like this thing called the One World Alliance, Qantas, American Airlines, British Airways. They have their different hubs, and I think Denver is like a southwestern United hub, and I don't really like those airlines. So it is a bit tricky. The closest one to me is Dallas, so I do spend a lot of time at DFW and a lot of time at LAX. But all our gear and backline is stored with Will in New Jersey, so that's kind of our touring home base, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, still takes me like seven hours to fly there because you've got to connect through Charlotte, which is a bummer. But you know, it is it is nice to have a few different locations that I'm, uh, I guess, somewhat of a local in. Yeah, it's the, pretty baller. Because you kind of feel at home in a few places, you know? Of course. Yeah, it's also kind of baller, you know? Just I have two places and in different countries, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's kind of not something every everyday people normally have. Um, no, it's just a necessity, you know? <laughs> it's true. So while we keep talking about Will, you guys uh, recently have been with Will. Uh, and again, keep in mind, this comes out like six weeks plus. So, you know, whatever, if you have information feel free to drop but like uh you know you guys were planning the last kind of last we uh reported on you guys outside of the hate uh stuff was you guys were getting back in the studio with will like uh december-ish november time yep we were there from september through end of november i want to say we finished this australian human target tour which we wanted to do because we'd spent a lot of time and money making the record, you know, and then nine months after it came, eight or nine months after it came out, shut down. So we were mid-cycle. We hadn't headlined in the States or Australia or a bunch of places for the album. We're like, well, we should still do some tours for it. We're in no rush to make a new record. So we got those out of our system last year. We did that back to the Gulag tour in the States. Europe was still kind of shut down. Um, we did a human target tour in Australia for five days in September. And then we're like, all right, new album time. So I think like literally the day after the tour finished, I flew to Denver for a week. And then I flew to New Jersey and then Sean joined me shortly after. We started jamming on riffs and we made a record. We haven't finished it. We got to finish vocals, lyrics and stuff. I'll probably do that next week, I guess. Are you still be, heavy in the vocal writing process as well, or? Yeah, yeah, it's it's just been well, it has been since hate basically. Oh wow, okay. Um, I just see. I mean, everyone in the band will pre- present ideas, but unfortunately for me, it normally falls on my head to start piecing things together, and then I present them to Will, and we go over the the whole thing, and he's like, no, "Make this better, change this, do this," and that's a whole process as well, uh-huh. separate from the music, which is fun, but. Yeah, so got to finish that and then record CJ maybe the week after, just before the tour starts and maybe do some at the end of the tour. Are you talking about the tour in February? Like in yeah, the tour, the tour that will have just finished for those tuning in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, six weeks from today is actually March 11th, which is the day the tour finishes. So, you know, maybe we'll have just finished the tour. And we'll just be getting into the studio to, to finish up a few more songs. We're hanging back for about a week after the tour to, to try and knock it out. 
And we want the record to start coming out, like, not too long after. April yeah, that's, or what, May. that's what I was going to ask, if you had kind of like a plan or a release, like a release window that you kind of were aiming for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've got another project that we've been working on separately that started like four years ago in 2019, which was going to come out mid-cycle for, you know, uh, Human Target. And I think Fitz record at the time that they were on was Sea of Tragic Beast, maybe. <clears throat> so we're going to try and do this little project together and then obviously the shutdown. So we're like, well, there's no point doing it anymore. We released our songs that were part of that project. They did Fear Tomorrow, I want to say, and we did Killing Season. So we had to make new songs for this EP. And I think when this airs, it'll either have just come out or be just about to come out. So cool. I've already been telling people, I'm like, yeah, we got an EP coming out in like a month or two. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. And then then after that, we'll roll into the new record. We'll give it some breathing space. Cool. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of weird questions for you. Yeah. yeah. How weird? <laughs> uh, just off top, like super off topic that I was thinking about this week because I, you know, I was thinking about what to talk about and I try to mm. think about things that are uh, A, not really music or band related and then B, I try to like, I try to steer clear as, as much a, away from the COVID talk just because for a long time that's all we talked about on the podcast yeah and that so you fly a lot you travel a lot you see a lot of people yes do you ever think how weird doppelgangers are like legit doppelgangers like you know like i, I like this topic um i do spend i don't want to say i spend a lot of time thinking about it but like people watching I, and stuff like that i do spend a lot of time thinking about it more than i think a normal person might spend thinking about it Firstly, I'm Asian, so I've spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia where a lot of, uh, you know, in my family, it's a lot of people look quite similar or very related. Mm -hmm. um, and so then going to Asia, we've toured through Southeast Asia and Japan, and my family's from the, the Philippines on one side and Japan on the other side. It's been like, that guy looks like my uncle, who's like 70. <laughs> Maybe age is a great leveling factor because all these wrinkles come in and you get yeah. a little bit fat. So you go, short, fat, Asian man, that looks like my uncle. Um, but also mathematically, I spent a little bit of time thinking about it. There's this unnamed friend of mine worked in a uh, like an insurance call center or something and had this issue, this dilemma one time where there was these two blokes with the exact same first, middle and last names and the exact same date of birth. <laughs> and, the, and somehow the computer systems had, cause this massive clusterfuck around it like they're the same person like merge they're not the same person their mothers had the same first middle and last name and the exact same date of birth also <laughs> and the only way that they could discern between the two was going through the family history up to the mother and one's na middle name was spelt with an e on the end of it and the other did not and i was like what are the chances two people being born on the same day that's pretty simple lots of people are born on the same day correct but then they have the same same name and they had the same middle name exact same spelling in the same country and then their mothers had the exact same first middle last name and the same date of birth i'm like this is just too crazy you know there's that weird um what's that what do you call them like a a veridical problem or whatever with uh with numbers and dates of birth like 
if you get 23 people together, you have a more, you you got a greater than 50% chance that two of them are born on the same day. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Like, all these weird things I try and think about. I'm like, so, yeah, doppelgangers, I see a lot of them. It's just yeah. weird. You know, like, it does. Like it makes you really think. I don't. It makes you think just like, like you were saying, mathematically, but like, plausibly and like reality and all that other stuff. Just makes you think. Like, I, I just, how is it that this person can look like this person, but then on the other side of the world, there's a someone that looks just like that that country or that area's same person. Like you know, you yeah. see the Drakes or whatever Drakes from around the world or whatever people that look yeah. like Drake. And you're just like, damn. People try to look like Drake. True, but I mean, like this, this is like, you know, they're third world Drakes and stuff like that. And so it's like, they're not trying to look like Drake. They just kind of look like Drake, but they're in the, yeah. some third world country somewhere. So it's like, I just that trips me out just because it's like, how many possibilities are there for facial structure or something like that? And then why is it, re- why is it repetitive sometimes? Or why are parts somewhat repetitive? Like, it's almost like an AI generator almost got the face the exact same, but it's slightly different. Yeah. I mean, it, this kind of ties into this pro- this sort of philosophy that I used to think about a bit called the eternal return or eternal recurrence, where all the elements in the universe are known and all we do is make new radioactive isotopes to expand the periodic table. But essentially, they're building blocks, right? Like, And there's only so many of them. And the universe has infinite time and space. And with the same amount of blocks, surely the exact same thing can happen again. You know, it's just happenstance. Like if I had 10 different pieces of Lego and I gave them to you and I went around and gave them to everyone else on the planet, lots of them would assemble them in exactly the same way, just by chance. I think that's kind of fascinating and probably explains the whole doppelganger effect. Mm-hmm. In a, yeah, in a more, in a more, you know, enlightened way. Correct. I don't know. What do you spend your free time doing, Andy, <clears throat> that you that you uh, ponder doppelgangers and just, you know, deep phil- philosoph- philosoph- philosophical <laughs> questions? I'm just, uh, I'm curious about the nature of reality or the reality of nature, you know. Um, I read a lot of books. I spend a lot of time cooking food is my great passion. Play some video games, but mostly I just work which isn't free time, I suppose. Um, I don't know. I just think that it's cool. I mean, it is One day cool. we're all going to die. You might as well try and understand what it was all for. Does it does it bother you that you won't ever understand everything or that you won't understand even like things that you really wish you could? Uh, or- when I was younger, I think that, that enthusiasm and maybe arrogance that, that comes with, with being a young, indestructible person... But as I've gotten older, I think it's kind of humbling and further helps you like kind of appreciate the magic that I get to exist on this planet by chance, you know, whatever the the odds are, it's like some one in 200 trillion chance of being born in a great, you know, society in a great time period where we have access to medicine and education and things that I care about. Um, You know, it is, uh, it is nice to ponder about it, but yeah, I'd, I'd say that question really did drive like a lot of the lyrics over the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, at least for me, like understanding why I would make certain lines in the lyrics and then going back through them, I can kind of see how 
my perspective around the same problem has like moved to the other side and been like, it just is what it is. Whereas before I was kind of more upset about it. Right. I was angry and then I was sad and, then, <laughs> and now I'm just kind of like, whatever. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, now that we've lost everybody for the last 10 minutes, um, I'm going to ask you a second or my, my other weird questions. Um, so being from, you know, or not being from, but spending a lot of time and obviously having somewhat of an Australian accent, how often do you get the dumb and dumber line? What's the dumb and dumber line? Oh, good day, mate. Let's um, the shrimp on the barbie. That doesn't happen to me. Oh, okay. Um, well, I don't know. I, I, don't I, would, know. I would assume a lot of Americans would just kind of like randomly spawn that on you. No, I've never been hit with that one. Are you familiar <laughs> with the movie Dumb and Dumber? Uh, I am somewhat. Okay. Well. Um, I've been watching it a long time. I I spent um, some of my youth growing up in non-English speaking countries like Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore. And we would get like movies from, I don't know, my both my parents were in the military. My father's in the Australian Air Force and my mother was in the US Navy. And so, hence, growing up in lots of different places for many different reasons. So we'd have access to like very limited Western like television or movies because everything was in, in, you know, Malay or Thai or whatever. And I remember we got some movie and someone had... I don't know how we got them through like a military social club or something that they funnel these movies around for the kids. And someone had taped over some cartoon movie that we were watching when I'm like seven with dumb and dumber. <laughs> and that's how I came across that movie. Like, I guess probably I was too young for my parents to decide that I was able to watch it. And, uh, halfway through the movie, it just changed to dumb and dumber. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and, um, and then the movie finished, and that, I guess that's my story about Dumb and Dumber and that line. Great. That's a great way to be introduced, you know? Yeah. Curveball. Total curveball. Do you get a lot of South Park references because of your name's uh, Marsh? Yep. For many years, my Facebook profile picture was Randy Marsh playing a guitar. Um, I also had a girlfriend in high school who went to a different high school and sent a love letter to me through some other guy. And said, "Who's where's where's Andy, where's Andy?" And one of my mates was like, oh, "I'm Andy," and I was somewhere else. And I got this nickname, Randy Andy, for some reason. I don't know why, but it was somewhat South Park related, also. Um, but yeah, Colorado. Yeah, I must say you live in Colorado. Andy Marsh play guitar. It all lines up, you know. It's very good. It's very good. Um, so I got this. I got this other little segment that I kind of want to try on you. Are you familiar? You seem like you're a pretty solid internet guy. You you kind of are up to date on like weird topics. So I'm pretty sure you're aware of uh, Chat GPT. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, the I artificial like the artificial like uh you know writer or whatever. So I've got yeah. <laughs> we asked it some questions, or we asked it to write us some questions. Uh, about oh, okay. Thy Should I log in my account and and then type in your questions and generate answers? Like you could if you want to. We can send it to you <laughs> later on. Um, but yeah, so these are some. I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to ask you all of them. We're not going to have you answer all of them. But we also oh, did, the better. Yeah, I mean, we could. We I guess there's 30 of them, so I'm not going to ask all of them. But uh, there's also 10 or 11 cool facts or like you know interesting tidbits about the band. 
So uh -huh. we'll read those too. Um, <laughs> this is the second question. What message do you hope to convey through your music? That's just a basic. We're, we're kind of basic on that, but. What question? I don't know. Introspection, I suppose. I'd want people to spend more time thinking and less time talking. Yeah, we kind of went over that just a little bit ago, you know, with the uh, yeah. with the with the way out there topics. Yeah, I mean, it's not for me to decide what message people get from the the lyrics. I suppose, although I do try to. Um, I don't know. Just be a cool dude or do that. I'm down with that. Okay, how do you feel about the current state of heavy metal and deathcore genres? I don't really have an opinion about it. I don't know enough or care enough to know what the state is. Uh, I know that what we do somehow gets to be better for us every year, which is great. And so it seems for our peers. And I think that's a, a great thing with respect to the wider music industry and how that impacts, you know, genres like ours, which have lots smaller margin and potential to earn an income like a living wage. I don't know. They've got that Live Nation investigation going on in the States at the moment, so we'll see how that shapes up. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, next question would be, what has been your favorite moment as a band so far? I don't know. I don't I really have moments. I, I like processes, um, and I, I love the process of doing it all. But I suppose if I had to pick one and be real cliche, like we just had a great headlining tour, it's kind of like a bit of a bummer because it's an older record, but I suppose celebrating, a, you know, an anniversary like that with a massive show. I mean, not only for us, but for the, the genre of death metal is the biggest death metal show that's ever occurred in, in our country. All of them were. Um, that's something that I guess I'm proud of. I don't know. I don't really feel a sense of pride about anything of us. So, but it was cool and we had fire and we filmed it and we're going to make some kind of weird DVD about it no one has a dvd anymore we'll just put it on youtube but you know hey, you can make you can make a blu-ray or something you know have a physical copy physical copies are coming back right i don't know i don't think that they should they're wasteful it's not good for the environment and you got to pay all this money to make it it's true how do you feel about i, I saw um i saw a band a recent band death metal band putting out cds but they were doing the long box they had the long old school box with it <clears throat> The long old school box. What was the long box? It was just like, you know, you would get a CD, right? Like you would have a CD. It would be in the thing, but the, the box would continue to go down. Kind of like they used to have that like big plastic. They used to have like a big plastic thing around around them that used to like be sort of like a long box, but it used to have like, used to have all the shit in there too. Like it would just be a box with a CD on top, but like the booklet or something extra in the bottom. I don't ever remember getting one. All right, I must be older than you, like way older, like or... or something. Nah, kind of, but it was like a long, long thin box. Just think of it like two CDs, like right on top of each other, right? That's kind of. All right, well, next <laughs> next question, Chat GPT. Um, this is a a little more, you know, a little more deeper question for for the band, I guess. Can you tell us about the concept behind the music video for Human Target? no concept mm. yeah. we were just like um make a video to the video guy and he goes okay 
we said we don't have a lot of money to spend on music videos he goes all right we go here's how much you can spend and he goes okay and then we made it (laughs) it's completely unrelated the song is about human organ harvesting in china it's a somber topic a pretty bright topic i mean (laughs) yeah my partner actually brought my attention to it like the oppression of the the muslim the uyghur population in in china and you can actually go on google maps and search for it and you'll find all the prisons that they put them in the world health organization went into china and they do these tests around the world like gathering statistics and whatnot and so organ transplanting is one of the the things that they they count um so they they go around the world and they go all right this year so many people donated their organs and this year so many people received an organ transplant and this number is going up and this is a great thing because you know in my family we have a a rare kidney disease where almost everyone in my bloodline requires a kidney transplant by the time they're 45 so receiving organs is important to my family so i care about it and they went into china and they were like you were harvested a hundred thousand organs or whatever in this time period but you transplanted into people like three hundred thousand organs they're like how is there a positive discrepancy between organs donated and organs received you're getting them salaciously from somewhere and you know the the thing the running theme is that they they're taking them from the uyghur population which they're basically just massacring over there and china has has it locked down mm. um pretty fucked up so the song has like farming themes in the beginning of the song like churning combines and harvesting and whatever but uh yeah it's about that it's pretty fucked up do you tell the video person like obviously the sentiment behind the the, the lyrics or do you guys go in i mean not specifically for this particular video i guess now i'm asking a more broader question but like do you guys usually think of a concept for for a video or do you just kind of like put that on someone else's plate sometimes you know the holy war i think you know we we really leverage that theme we haven't made too many music videos really yeah it's not um, something like the scene kind of does a lot of yeah it's just like it's so expensive doesn't make a difference every band hates making them you got to stand around for the playing the same or miming the same parts for a whole day getting filmed and kind of awkward um but yeah some sometimes we have you know running themes sometimes it's whatever I don't know. New Gods was one that was kind of thematic and ironic because it's about social media and people being on their phones. So we shot it like the theme was we shot it in the aspect ratio of a phone. Mm-hmm. Spotify told us that we'd be able to put the music video onto Spotify natively. So when you play the song, the music video is on there. Yeah. And then they kind of stooged us and said, no, we want someone bigger to do that. So we're like, oh, <laughs> we just it's music video for you. And now you said you're not going to put it up there. So thanks. It was really exciting. Mean, you guys have half a million followers, guys. Come on. That's that's decent. Or half, half a million listeners on the, just that platform. That's, that's decent. Yeah, but whatever. I guess. I, I, you know, really weird who they choose to do that with, I guess. Uh, since we're kind of in that lyrics and, you know, social, political kind of theme, the next question that it, it rolled up was, how do you balance the brutal and intense elements of your music with the themes of social and political commentary? How do we balance it? Yes. Is this a chat GPT question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are good. <laughs> yeah. 
You're so good. Um, how do we balance it? I don't know that we balance it. We we make the music first. Where we don't. Um, well, I don't. I know a lot of bands probably just write lyrics all the time when inspiration hits. We craft, and this is something that Will kind of taught me to do. So there's this synergy. He's like, write the lyric to the song in exactly where the words are going to go. Don't like, don't just write lyrics and then say them, like try and figure it out over the music. It's like the music should inspire the lyric and then they should go together like on purpose from scratch. So we can't write lyrics until the songs are done. And at that point, the mood of the song generally gives me a vibe. Like, is this an aggressive song? Is it contemplative? Is it depressing? And normally what I will pre-prepare is, is a, a list of themes to, or like uh, topics to try and write about. And that's anyone's role really in the band. I'm, I'm always like, give me ideas. What should we have songs about? And then we don't always get to cover them. It's like, okay, well, this theme works with this song and I can make a hook around that idea or whatever. Um, but that's just how it goes. We try to balance the music and the music normally tells us what the what kind of topic should be covered. Yeah, that's cool. Um, this is not a chat GPT question, but before I forget it, because we were talking about the issue in China and whatnot, and you travel quite a lot being an international band. Um, what is like the weirdest place that you've been that's most like, I don't want to say, like, I don't want to use the term ass backwards, but like, so different from what you're normal normally used to whether it be like the general location or maybe how like the country is with the you know political economics and social elements or we've been to yeah we've been to some weird places for sure i mean i grew up arguably in some third world locations as a child so i was used to seeing like immense poverty at scale and and you know, living in different, like, kind of, I suppose there's a, an overarching religion provides a paradigm that society might be constructed around in, in different places. And so you get used to that. It's like, oh, it's their rules, not our rules, and we're not used to that. I think this provides a level of uncomfort to people who aren't used to being in a place that's not like, I mean, particularly Americans or Australians or Brits, you know, classic white Anglo-Saxons. I don't have my regular food. I don't have my regular this and it can be weird, but I'm used to it my whole life. But I will say like uh, a few off the top of my head is we played South Africa six years ago and like the intense violence, I suppose that they're accustomed to. I hadn't grown up in any kind of uh, war zones. Mm. So that was, I guess, pretty shocking. Yeah, they had like apartheid and all that stuff going on, going on yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's been hectic. So... Uh, a lot of social uprising and, and whatnot over the last three decades. I think they're probably still figuring it out. The, the country was very, very strange, at least where we went, Johannesburg. Yeah. Uh, it's Africa's on my bucket list, but not South Africa. I, I think I would stay uh, from South Africa. It's more like safari or desert type Africa that I'd like to encounter. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hit like Morocco and um, Egypt, yeah. and all the classic touristy spots. We also played Israel. Um, and there was definitely like a, not a sense of urgency. I don't know how to say, like some of the songs, particularly Holy War, I guess, were re you could just tell that the crowd, it like 
went to another level because I mean I guess they like the song but maybe it's more relevant to them in their part of the world you know the the ongoing Israeli-Palestinian conflict is pretty mm. hectic so they're like yeah yeah we live in the holy war Palestinians <laughs> and Israelis so like <laughs> you guys are all fighting over some crazy numpty shit yeah well the the attendance like I don't know if you would I don't know if you know but like at that show particularly because you know you brought up that holy war uh with the palestinian and, and israel uh people in that conflict over there like the people that were that were attending your show do you like do you think was it like half and half pro uh palestine half pro israel or do you think they're more one one way or the other absolutely no idea <laughs> i don't know if you got out there and talked to anybody I, or not I, I talked to a few people that traveled with us, like the promoter and their their team, and they just m- made a point that they think the whole thing is stupid. You know, um, I think maybe I well, I'm hopeful. I'm not particularly knowledgeable about the entire history of their beef. I think most of it is religiously driven, um, and then maybe has become racially driven. But the younger people were super super anti the whole conflict to begin with they're like everyone should just assimilate and live here together and maybe that's the if that generation feels this particular way maybe that's a sign for the future in the next 50 or 100 years that maybe it'll all go away which would be nice after thousands of years of beefing (laughs) each other you don't hear that on the news that often that particular part no no you, you don't but you know we were there on the ground and maybe we just met the five most reasonable people in israel <laughs> i don't i don't know but, but they would do well to stop uh fighting each other i think interesting do you do you get to see a lot of like things around the world that weren't like described to you as as they you know what i mean as, as differently like whether it's through the media or how you were taught well i guess you were you're so worldly already. I can't tell you like how you were taught because I don't know where you were taught. You've lived in multiple different countries. I was taught in like ten different schools. <laughs> how many languages? How many languages can you speak? Just the one. Oh. One of my one of my life's great regrets. I figured you I would. Spoke, I spoke Japanese as an infant, um, like infant level Japanese, and then never spoke it again. So, yeah, I used to speak French as a as a. Uh, younger kid like under the age of five because my mom and my whole side of the, my mom's side of the family is from French Canada so I used to speak French but oh, I do not speak no. it I haven't it's all gone 30 plus years yeah it's gone your uh, brain I think wipes your memory when you get to becoming like a toddler there's some weird uh, phenomenon that occurs for whatever evolutionary purpose so you can speak some language as a child and then it just goes away yeah that's interesting and it's interesting to think about. I'm looking at that. Um, you said one of your parents is from the Philippines, correct? Right. My mother's from Hawaii, and it's where I say that I'm from because it's where I spent most of my very small years, I guess. Uh, and her mother is from the Philippines, or her and her mother's side of the family is from Cebu in the Philippines, and okay. my grandfather is from Okinawa. Okay. Um, I was gonna. I was going to ask, because you were talking about food and, you know, uh, you cook a lot and being more open to food, just being, you know, growing up in that area of the world. Uh, do you ever, do you ever eat balut? The, you know, the real <laughs> egg no. thing? No? No, I'm not a balut fan. Uh, I, I'm not either. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, some people are super into it, especially like on days like today when you're hungover. But I'm like, nah. It doesn't seem like it's a good idea when you're hungover. It just seems like you're going to throw up. I have friends that eat it. So it's like. Yeah, me too. But not for not for moi. I think as a, uh, you know, as you grow up, you start to reject your youth. It's like a a rebellious phase against your parents and your heritage. And being of Asian descent and Hawaiian, as soon as I started being able to cook my own food, I was like, I'm going to make some white people food. <laughs> You get, when I came to Australia it was the first time I kind of felt racism as a as a person. I had an American accent and I was, you know, like 11 or 12. And I had like all this Asian food that I brought to school for my lunch and people would kind of tease me about it. Like, why you got some weird shit? <laughs> we, got a, we got a Vegemite sandwich. You should have one of those. And I'm like, nah, man. Um, so I guess that as well, you know, really pushed me towards like pursuing, you know, French cuisine and and I guess what we call in Australia now, modern Australian. Um, yeah, so I don't make a lot of Asian food. Yeah, I, I gonna, eat a lot of it. I was going to ask uh, what your kind of, you know, areas of culinary arts, uh, specific arts are in. And you kind of said French cuisine and uh, modern Australian, which you'd have to explain what modern Australian is to me because I have never heard that. It's just taking like seasonal ingredients in Australia and applying like, you know, refined technique, I think, to the preparation, which is generally French inspired. You know, they're the, the masters of technique, Escoffier and and whatnot, set out all of these things and you just apply those techniques to ingredients that are indigenous to your region. You know, there's probably modern American food. I mean, there definitely is. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. I've just never heard, you know, Australian. I didn't know if it was a certain kind of protein or a certain kind of animal that, you know, was... We, I mean... You can find it. It's not commonplace kangaroo and wallaby and, and whatnot. Um, but now I'm in my renaissance years, you know, so I just make Italian food heaps. It's really simple, always seasonal, fresh. I think as I've aged, French cuisine to me is what can I do to this ingredient? This ingredient is just a piece of shit and I'm going to do something to it and it's going to be magical. Whereas the Italians have like this more connected relationship with nature and their produce i i think i don't know i'm just garnering that by the stuff that i make and the stuff that i eat it's more like what's fresh and in season and this is the best time to ever eat it and let's do as little to it as possible Mm. and you know i think getting around that vibe cooking wise is you know i know more about the seasons now and what kind of foods are available and you know yeah it's less about you it's more about the the food and being connected to it yeah and you were a kid when you started cooking. So how do you like? How do you cut your teeth on like learning? Did you have someone show you in your family, or did you just kind of seek it on your own? Uh, it was mostly driven by me, I suppose, out of necessity. Maybe I, when I was living in Malaysia as a child, I had something called an ama, this lady whose job it was to kind of care for me because my parents were off doing other things in the military. Her name was Viji, and I never saw her again, actually. It's an Indian Malay lady, and she would just sit me on the counter as a little toddler and make me food. Be like, Mr. Andy. Mm. And uh, watching her cook a lot, you know, it was something that she was very passionate about. Um, And another great life's regret is not learning more recipes off of her. I mean, I was only a kid, so. Um, Then... Both my parents were out of the house when I was pretty young. So 
I just had to make food if I wanted to eat. Like, I think when I was 10, I had no one looking after me. And then I uh, moved out of home when I was 17 to go to uni. And I have no had no money. My parents had no money for me. So I had a job and the best job I could get was working in a kitchen. So I started cooking food, learning more about it, which stoked my, I don't know, interest. And I think later in life now, kind of thinking about food, I think it's like, it must be the most primal form of creativity. Like people had to eat to survive a hundred thousand years ago. They didn't have the time to go out painting and making music or the technology. Yeah. They're like, how do I make this thing that I ate for the last hundred days more interesting? Right. Well, and then sometimes it takes a long time to cook certain things, especially like certain types of meat or certain areas of the of the animal that are like yeah. need to break down more. And it just or hunting it. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's a long period. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely a lot. But I'm saying, like, even if you even nowadays, like, because I, I cook for myself as well as you know. But I, I live alone, so like even cooking for myself, it's like could be an hour ordeal with just the prep, you know, setup, oh, yeah. making it, and then if I wash the dishes that that night, you know what I mean? That's a whole ordeal. But you, you, get to, you get to enjoy it for 10, 15 minutes, right? You get to enjoy the meal for 10, 15 minutes afterwards? Yeah, I mean, look, I'll make shit that takes days to make, so it's it's my meditative time. Yeah, I don't I don't work. I don't think about work. I just focus on that. And even if, even if I, even if I eat it in five minutes, it's not about the, the result. Although I will tell you, my results pretty good. It's about the process for me, like taking your brain away from other distractions and, you know, nourishing yourself. Yeah, and the people that you care about. And I'm sure you somewhat know about. You may know about this. I shouldn't assume that you know about it, but you know, the whole process of cooking the meal is part because, you know, we didn't have like a microwave for 99.9% of the time that humans have been on the planet. So the whole ordeal of like cooking it around the fire and having to wait, it actually like, you know, lets your body know like, okay, meal time's coming. So it kind of gets everything ready. And then you don't have to eat as much to do that as well, I think. And, you know, it also is more it's just more better or, you know, tastes better, just reacts better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your mouth will start producing these things called amylases, which will break down like protein structures. And I knew you would know about it. I see. I knew you'd know about <laughs> it. And, and also people with type 2 diabetes, their body will start secreting uh, insulin when they smell a carbohydrate. Mm. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Before you even eat it, it yeah. your body's going, ah, make change hormone structure. The human body's phenomenal. It is kind of crazy. And I was just going to say, I was going to interject uh, and change the subject a little bit even more so. I was going to say, I was going to ask, like, is it is it interesting and fun for you? Because, like, now in even modern day science, like, things are changing, like, things that have been the same way for so long are changing in all sorts of facets of science, not just one particular thing, but, like, the human body. Like, people are finding out more about the human body or more about certain things in the human body, like, uh, or or brain and mental health and stuff like that. Like ADHD is a lot of people know more, way more than they do when I was knew when I was a kid. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fascinating. I mean, I care about it, but also I mostly just like to know things. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like oh, okay, now now we know why that happens, and you can better understand yourself, the world, and people around you. 
Do you get lost in like YouTube rabbit holes? I don't really watch a lot of YouTube. If oh, I watch YouTube, probably good. Like cooking things. Yeah. I prefer to uh, absorb my information through reading. You know. Yeah, it just takes a lot longer. That's the only problem. I read too. I read too. It just takes a lot longer, and you can go down these YouTube rabbit holes real quick. Well, I I think that taking longer is probably better. I'd argue maybe, like, so there's so much information now that particularly a lot of my friends that get on these conspiracy kicks, they're absorbing so much information that's not been audited from so many different places. They just, I, I also think this is a big problem with society is that it rips out the nature of reality from underneath people and they become lost in their own lives, not to get mm -hmm. too deep into this. But when, how can you, what do you mean? We got deep already. We're, we've lost everybody already. It's just you and I know. <laughs> your life is built around like these, these structures of reality or what you think is reality you know i'm these are my parents this is the town that i live in this is my wife or my husband Th this is my job and oftentimes when you take away a crux or an anchor in someone's foundation of what they they can they they assemble this tapestry under the lattice work of of their life and when you pull out some of these core blocks of what even what is true right the, their life like falls apart they become directionless and i think having an abundance of information and misinformation is really helping create this sense of like nihilism in uh today's society you know yeah because if if this thing that i always thought was true might not be true what else is not true and the things just start falling down yeah it's going to probably be I think about this a lot too, how interesting it's going to get in the future, just with like the onion and the hard times.net kind of stuff. Like these are, you know, those are parody news outlets, right? That aren't necessarily real. Not, I don't want to say fake news, but they're just like, a, you know, for, for the, for the lulls basically. Um, and I understand that, but I also at one point was thinking and more so the, the onion, not the hard times, but, um, I was like, at some point early on when I started seeing that come out, I was like, that that can't be good because <laughs> people are going to start taking that real, like seriously. And then some people in the world just don't have it as together as other people. So they, you know, they'll, they'll lose it a little easier and uh, it will affect so many other people. But I feel the same way about these prank YouTube or prank, you know, reels or videos you see online of just people like it's a prank like i, I just purposely manipulating people is very I, i'm not with that all so to speak. thrills for clicks you know yeah and that's the and with deep fake videos and audio coming and it's just it's oh, gonna get wild man the deep fake stuff is crazy yeah have you seen the guy who does the voice impressions and he has his face is morphed using the deep fake technology and you'll just go, oh, that's, that is that guy. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of people, whether on Instagram or YouTube or, or something like that, that definitely, like, I just don't know how you're going to, like, I'm a gra I am grew up a graphic designer and stuff like that. So sometimes in photos, you can, I, it's easier for me to be like, oh, this is a fake photo because it's clearly Photoshop or something, right? Uh, but on some of this stuff, it's like, oh boy, you can have Biden or anybody in politics around the world or anybody anywhere ceo of something sports star say anything in their voice especially if they have audio out in the world you know what i mean 
it's 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 pretty mental we have a i'm not i'm not sure what the title of it's going to be but we've got a song on the new record that'll be out later called well the the idea is this thing called the keras which is like a little sprite demon thing from thousands of years ago and they would like whisper to people they they what they did was they fed on the dead of war like the all the carcasses they go around going no 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 but they couldn't engage in the war but what they could do was whisper to people to encourage water occur so they had something to eat mm. i think it's you know pretty metaphorical for <laughs> this whole thing that's going on these days yeah well to save it to save the world we'll end it on this what are three books that the listener that's made it this far with with you and i andy what are three books that they should read to better open their mind Oh God, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> it could be any topic. It doesn't have to necessarily be something, uh, you know, about politics or physics, you know, physics or reality. It could be anything. You seem to have um, a lot of books, so I'm just asking. Uh, well, one of my favorite books, which has nothing to do with life, but I think, well, it does. Um, you know, I like, poor charlie's almanac is a good one but it's mostly to do with like business and numbers but mostly assessing like options in in different different things and making sure you make a good choice that's actually well informed as opposed to like i went on youtube for 10 minutes and now i'm an expert on you know 9-11 is a good one um i think one that's that a lot of people could benefit from i mean i'm not necessarily saying it's going to change their life but I think with, I don't, I don't have any mental health issues. Let me just, I feel pretty composed all the time. Nothing ever stresses me out. But one thing that, one thing I read and I've recommended to a lot of friends and I think that it's helped them because mental health seems to be such a big problem these days is Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections. Mm-hmm. It's a really quick read, um, but it's a lot of anecdotal stuff about, you know, depression and anxiety in in modern times and and what people might be able to do to combat that also dispels a lot of myths about like psychotropics and things that are supposed to fix you and whatnot bit controversial because of the involvement in big pharma in uh in selling people things that are going to cure their depression Mm -hmm. and if it was a third one i'm gonna have to say it's going to be something really approachable and simple like a dawkins book like the magic of reality or something that that might make people more curious about the 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 magic of reality mm-hmm. getting on a plane and you're flying in a big piece of metal in the sky that's pretty amazing like you should you should admire the your your own body and your modern society and all the things that it's afforded people and just go damn that's pretty cool i think when you realize the world is so much bigger than you it it also helps free you of too much self-centered like oh yeah you don't matter like, for shit like at all like yeah yeah, you have to. I don't think everyone has the ability to think like that, though. That's the thing. I don't think no. everyone has the ability to to let themselves not be the main main character in their movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I I get that, but you know, just just try a little bit. Try and think about other things, and uh, maybe it'll make everything better. Yeah, um, I'm gonna cut you loose here on the podcast, but I want to ask you something off 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 air because we got into like some weird stuff, and I don't want to put our uh, listeners through anymore anymore yeah. of that okay so andy it was great having you on having you on the show um 
best of luck in the next couple of weeks here with the hate 10 year anniversary and we look forward obviously to the new album do you have a title for the new album by chance or have not decided gotta okay. formulate more lyrics had to ask you know so and then maybe it will appear all right well thank you again for being on the show and uh we'll see you we'll see you next time man no worries thanks for having me well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Okay.